Namath. Christian Namath. And he finds the far post. An absolutely superhuman effort from Christian Namath. It'll be Stieber. This ball takes a deflection and it's in. Nikolic taking it away. Nikolic is in. And the boot's starting to look pretty golden. Hello and welcome to the Hungarian International. Today it's a bit of a special one. We're talking about the MLS. Obviously there's a lot of Hungarian flavour to the MLS at the moment, so we're going to talk about that, of course. We're also going to talk about the MLS in a more general sense. On today's show we have Christian Henage, who's from The Guardian, Yahoo Sports, 442, you name it, he's probably written there. Welcome to the show, Christian. Even. And we also have Zach Rosman, who is the host of the Quakers After 90 podcast, and is also of Hungarian heritage. And welcome to the show, Zach. Good afternoon. And also at the end of the show, we have an interview with Daniel Shalloui from Sporting Kansas City. Daniel scored the winning goal in the MLS US Open Cup final in July and is heading into the playoffs with Sporting Kansas City this month. Uh, Zach, we'll start with you first. Obviously, you're a San Jose Earthquakes fan, as I've just mentioned. Talk us through your season. Talk us through that amazing game on Sunday and that amazing uh, late winner. <laughs> Well, um, this season has definitely been one to remember. Um, it's been one of transition. We had a new general manager come in, um, and that definitely set the tone for the rest of the season. Our our longtime coach, well, two and a half seasons, but he had been with us previously as an assistant in the uh, glory days in the uh, early 2000s. He was ousted during the middle of the season right after a win, which definitely set the tone that this front office now was going to be doing um, whatever they felt best in the long run rather than in the present. And it was some mixed mixed feelings. Uh, this former coach, a lot of fans felt, was holding the team back uh, stylistically, a lot more defensive, not a whole lot of attacking. Um, but all that being said, we made a late run into the U.S. Open Cup, our FA Cup tournament out here, which uh, sadly for me but happily for uh, our later guest, Daniel, uh, Sporting Kansas City topped us. Um, and then, you know, going into this final match day, we were able to um, pull off a victory unlike anything else that I had seen. Um, it was in the 93rd minute, and Marco Enya, who uh, Hungarians will be seeing soon enough in a friendly against Costa Rica, uh, he was able to score and... Uh, I've never heard a louder reaction at that stadium in the uh, three or four years that it's been active there and also at the stadium before it. Um, it's, it's quite amazing, really. Um, and so to be in the playoffs, it's something we hadn't done in five years. And I, I'm only hoping for good things as far as one day's playoff match. But, you know, once we got here, it's, it's a completely new story. So any predictions are out the window as far as it goes. Yeah, I loved watching that reaction as well because the players didn't really know what to do. They were just running around. like <laughs> They're just running in all sort of different directions. It was it, meant, mm-hmm. it, it was crazy. Um, obviously, an Earthquakes fan that might sound familiar to Hungarian football fans is Annabel Godoy, who used to be at Homvade uh, in 2015. How good has he been for you? Yeah, I know we've uh, talked about it a little bit previously, but... It's something where he came over and it did pique my interest that he was coming over from the Hungarian League. And I was like, okay, it'll be interesting to see the quality that he brings to MLS. Um, and he he's become a solid core member of our team. He's 
uh, always, you know, our option at uh, starting midfield. And he actually finished the season, although uh, in the negative column, he had the second most yellow cards out of any player. I think he had 10 and um, had to be around 30 games or something like that. He finished third in passing accuracy into in the entire league, so it was around ninety one percent. If I yeah ninety point seventy nine percent, and so just his play has been solid for not only our team but also for the uh, Panamanian national team, and so he has been a anchor for our side when it was relatively unexpected, um, or at least we had temperate expectations. Yeah, cool. Obviously, that Panama team who scored late to knock out US in that uh, that amazing <laughs> Concacaf yeah. X. Um, Chris, in a more general sense, how has the um, MLS regular season panned out? Has it gone kind of to script, or has there been some teams that have come out of nowhere and become a threat? Um, that's a good question. I think perhaps if you looked at the salary charts, you could say yeah, Toronto being at the top is is a fair shout because they spend. A significant amount on Giovinco, on Bradley, on Altidore. Um, but I think where you have to credit Toronto is, is not so much in buying what are known quantities or signing known quantities, but it's someone like Victor Vasquez, who I think came on in on free, has something like 16 assists in, in 31 games. That's a ridiculous return. And at the same time, I think this league is, is so perfect for someone like him because there's spaces he can always exploit. He can use his his intelligence, his positional awareness, all those kind of traits that, that you would expect from someone that comes through the Barcelona Academy um, to, to really devastating effect. I think where there's been a, an, a slight surprise for me is is Atlanta United. Um, they signed, you could argue similar to Toronto, they signed very established players in Jose Martinez, Miguel Almiron, uh, Carmona in, in midfield. But you're never too sure how expansion sides are going to get on. You just need to look at Minnesota United, who you could argue, having come from NASL, have a better start point to, to transition into Major League Soccer. But for them, it was an absolute nightmare of a start. They had uh, Vadim Demidov from Norway, who had had kind of slipped between you know defensive midfield to centre-back and was playing centre-back for for Minnesota with devastating uh, consequences for his own team, um, <laughs> not for the opposition, unfortunately. Um, and he was, I think, 550k on the the salary cap, which is again enough to to make anyone's eyes water. But with Atlanta, they've managed to to get to the playoffs. I think the first team since, uh, or the first expansion side, excuse me, since Seattle in 09 to make the playoffs in their first season. And they play some really great stuff as well. And I think. You have to give a lot of credit to, to Carlos Bocanegra for that because I, I interviewed him in the the winter before they kicked off, so around this time last year. And there was things that he said at the time, like, oh, you know, we're not going to build our squad relative to our manager, we're just going to give the manager the players and see what he does, that felt really ominous, sort of, this is not going to be good. They're going to, you know, build a side of, of beautiful technical passes and then give it to a Tony Pulis-type coach and, and it'll all end in tears. But... Someone like Tata Martino, again, that's a great hire for MLS period, I think. The more you can get coaches of his quality in, the better. And and it's it's clicked for them on the field. And I think, yes, they've got no experience um, as a team in this position. They've got some in individuals like Jeff Laurentowitz and Tyrone Mears and people like that. I don't think anyone really wants to face Atlanta in the playoffs. Um, 
because they do represent a dangerous commodity. The Martinez has found the net with frightening regularity. Almiron is, is coming back from an injury, so I don't know at what stage he comes back into things. But if he's fit and healthy, he will cause you problems. And I think that's something that's that's surprised a few this year is, is just how quickly they've taken to it. Yeah, Atlanta, have, uh, I, I don't watch MLS that much, I have to say, but when I've seen Atlanta, they've just been beautiful to watch. Martinez, like you say, is, is, a, is a quality footballer. And then uh, Almiron as well is a different type of footballer, but beautiful to watch as well. And like you say, getting getting Tata, Tata Martino in was, was such a coup. It almost felt like a like a Chinese league appointment it, like because it was such a big appointment in, in, in relative terms. Um, to an outsider... What would you say the standards like? Because I saw Jack Pitt Brook from the Independent on Twitter say the other day that he was watching a game. He was at New York City versus uh, I can't remember who they were playing, but David Villa scored too. Uh, and he said that any championship side would walk the league. I mean, do you agree with that or? Um, I don't know. I, it's definitely something where MLS is trying to build their rosters from the top down in the sense that you can get some very high quality players uh, but at the same time the median amount of salary is definitely going to be something that championship or relative to our region uh, Liga MX would be able to eclipse and so while the standards for the league as far as play goes are a bit varied um, I'm not sure if necessarily any championship team could walk the league um, but definitely the top teams, you know, that are fighting for promotion could do well. Um, but MLS, it's um, it's a different beast as far as the rosters and uh, things like that goes with the rules. So it's still it's still a league that's building. I mean, it's been around for just over 20 years, and so it's hard to compare in that sense. But I've always heard people quantitatively say it's somewhere between league one and championship as far as actual on on the field play goes I, th- I think you've got to be really careful with that and a lot of the people that make those judgments i find take the exception and make it the rule and mm. I, th- I think zach makes a really good point that championship league one is about the standard in terms of your average player now brett ormerod played in the premier league does that mean the premier league's terrible no it, it just means that there are <laughs> players who can exist within that that realm that maybe traditionally you wouldn't assume as being of the quality. The fact that Bradley Wright Phillips is able to score goals, I don't think that makes MLS a terrible league. I don't see those kind of criticisms thrown at, say, the J-League, which is of similar age, is in a similar point in its trajectory, and seems to garner more respect. I don't know if it's because it's, it's America or, or whatever, or it's just sometimes cultural things. But I think that America... Is, is developing itself off the field in terms of its culture and, and how fans uh, interact with that. But at the same time on the field, it's growing in terms of its its coaches is a very good example of that. You've got Martino now coming in. That's a good sign that, that for me, teams are looking at the situation and say, OK, it's all well and good having great players, but if we can get great coaches, we can potentially improve not just the DPs we sign, but domestic players we have as well. I also think it's it's giving a decent platform to younger coaches. You look at Patrick Vieira. He has chosen MLS, I think, to actually hone his craft a bit and develop and, and work out some kinks. And watching 
his development as a coach and the team move from strictly possession-based to being a bit more pragmatic has been quite fun to watch. And I think if you come with the the predisposition to expect perfection from MLS, you're always going to be frustrated by it. And I think that's the problem is that when I, f- when I see a lot of these people who, who maybe pick up a game or two games with the intention of commentating, they're almost, they're looking for the scratch on the coffee table. They're not looking to, to see the whole picture. And, and I think if you, if you go with that mindset, you're never going to find anything positive with it. Uh, yeah, I think you're completely right. And I think that point about you making about the J-League being worse, I mean, that that is a really good point. Like, MLS gets a lot more stick than any other league in the world. I, I, I don't know why. Maybe because it's like like an American snobbery. that they, Obviously, Americans call it soccer, and, and they have this kind of, uh, English people kind of have this almost, uh, I don't know, just hatred almost for American people who, who like follow soccer. You see it on Twitter a lot. If an American person says anything about football you get people jump on them and just say oh yeah what's this guy know or whatever like that I think that's a really good point and uh, and also the 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 fact that players younger players like Almiron and Martinez for two examples are coming through and it's not just quotation marks at a a retirement league anymore I think that's going to only help the MLS as well Mm -hmm. I mean that's one of the tropes I think sorry I was gonna say I think that's one of the tropes that really is being disproven, the, the fact it's a retirement league. It's getting younger year on year in terms of its player base and, and the foreign players that are coming in. I think the average age was 27 this season. So that doesn't stack up. And, and I think a lot of the time people will take those those foreign DPs, those bigger names, the payloads, etc. And they'll either look for uh, the fact that they're succeeding as a sign that the league is, um, you know, terrible calling, uh David Villa geriatric and the fact that no one can touch him. Or they'll point to the fact Pelo struggles and say, well, what do you expect when he's playing in this and all this guy? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I, I think really it, you've got to give it more of a fair chance. But I say that as someone who's been invested in it for five, six years, who's, mm-hmm. who's sort of seen it up close. Yeah, I was just going to chime in about um, the league. It, Although, of course, since it's based in America, a lot of people reflect on it as being American, but also, you can look at the profile of other teams that are developed. So when we were speaking about Godoy, who um, was in the Panamanian team, or Udenia, also a San Jose Earthquakes player who has played for Costa Rica. In the last World Cup in 2014, Costa Rica won out a group that included Uruguay, Italy, and England. That was unexpected, but a good amount of those players were developed in MLS, including Udenia, who he... Um, um, who's now playing in MLS, sorry, he wasn't at the time, but you had players like uh, Giancarlo Gonzalez, who was able to forge a spot in the Costa Rica national team and end up being sold to uh, Palermo by the Columbus crew. Um, it's it's something where a lot of times we focus only on America, but at the same time, and as this World Cup qualification route showed, a lot of other teams are building up through MLS itself. And so, yes, if you do compare it to something like the Premier League, uh, a league that in one shape or form in the top flight has been around for, you know, well over 100 years. There's definitely going to be a difference as far as play goes. But at least to me, I'm, I'm more of a romantic with soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, that I look for those moments. So something like the Marco Denenia goal in the 93rd minute to send the Earthquakes to the playoffs for the first time in five years with 
as you you know described before, players just running around not knowing how to celebrate. That's what I love to look for, whether I'm watching Premier League, uh, NV1, or anything. And so I feel like a lot of times when I do try and guide people towards watching the league, I, I guide them towards watching you know, rivalry matches or something that will kind of get you more connected with the league itself. Because if you're just coming in as an outsider with a critical eye, you definitely aren't going to be wanting to watch it week in, week out, because there's a lack of connection if your only connection is just through purely uh, aesthetics as far as uh, the um, play on the field is concerned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll stay with you, Zach. Uh, talking about mm-hmm. this year again, um, what teams have impressed you most this year, uh, apart from Atlanta? Because I think we covered them. <laughs> apart from them. Um, so Chicago did quite well, and I wasn't sure how they would do. Uh, I mean, they added uh, Nikolic, they added Schweinsteiger, so you would hope that they would do well. But... Um, their their play was a lot more impressive, especially in compared to previous seasons, uh, and so that was great to see from them. And then um, Toronto FC has been a stalwart in MLS, uh, partially due to the incompetence of my own team's management. Sadly, uh, their two starting um, two starting outside backs, uh, Justin Morrow and Stephen Betasher, they were originally on the San Jose Earthquakes. They were traded away for basically nothing, and Toronto FC was able to acquire them, um, one directly and one indirectly, and then now they've become a part of the foundation for this team. And the, the team is just so well built. I mean, it's more than, as I'm kind of alluding here, it's more than just Giovinco or the U.S. Internationals and Michael Bradley, Josie Outstore. They definitely you know, pack the punch, but at the same time, it's just so well built from top to bottom. It's been, it's been amazing to see how they've been able to sustain that. Um, so the, those top teams are definitely the East, the Eastern conference has been a lot stronger than the Western conference. I mean, as you kind of, uh, for anyone that was not paying, um, or not knowing about the, uh, final decision day in MLS, the, um, the first through, I think, third or fourth was all decided on that day. So no one had a solid grasp of, um, you know, the lead out west. So it's hard for me to say necessarily that any teams out there impressed me in that sense. Um, but there there have been some good teams out there, whereas um, we have Portland and Seattle. But mainly the Eastern Conference are probably the teams to watch um, this postseason. And Chris? I think I think Chicago is a good shout. I was really um, unsure about the Schweinsteiger deal. Uh, I wrote as much um, for the guy, and just because I, I, at Man United it seemed like you know he he was probably not made for the more robust type of league. And I thought you know if there's one thing you can say about MLS, it's it's quite physically demanding and aggressive, and mm. you know you got to go and play in Colorado and all these kind of mad places and, and long playing journeys. I know that sounds bizarre, but I spoke to um, one of the media uh, team members at a club who told me that um, one player didn't realise that that Chicago was three or four hours away from where they were and was shocked by how much flying they had to do. Um, And and I think where they've really succeeded is with someone that you'll know quite well in in the Manu Nikolic because, again, I looked at that deal and I think I remember talking to, to you about it and and you saw a lot of his goals in Poland and, and some of them were, were sort of self-made. Others, it was a case of he needed a bit of support. And I didn't see a creative source in that team. David Akam's not, for me at least, 
mm-hmm. a number 10 or a creator type. He's great at carrying the ball, great dribbler, but not the number 10 that, that they needed. And and there was rumblings they were looking for a number 10 um, before the Shine Shrine Tiger, but the budget was like 20% of what they ended up paying him. Um, mm-hmm. But they've been able to get the service to him. And I, and I think... You know he he's been fantastic, and yet amazingly had a nine-game barren run midway yeah. through the season. Mm-hmm. So he's still taking the golden boot with all of that. Um, and I think, yeah, if if you're pointing to danger men for them, it's it's a calm and a Nikolic without doubt, even though they don't necessarily work in in tandem. Um, and I think just the way that the Panovic has has kind of grown into his second year. The first year, I think he was a little bit naive. Um, there was a, a transition for him from managing U20s with Serbia to, to first-team football that I think he was almost a little bit too idealistic. Um, that might sound oxymoronic to say too idealistic, but a little bit idealistic in terms of he wanted to, to play beautiful stuff all the time and, and you just can't do that. You have to be... You have to game-manage MLS. You have to be pragmatic. That's what I think uh-huh. Caleb Porter realised before he won MLS Cup. Um, and I'm going to be very curious to see how Chicago handle this this playoff scenario now because there's there's a temptation to to try and go out and play beautiful stuff but you might not be able to you might need to to be a bit more pragmatic and game manage yeah and i think that's if uh, nikolic is kind of one of them players who who doesn't do a lot of uh, do do a lot throughout the game at all and if if your team's playing badly or you kind of uh, got the back uh, back against the wall nikolic won't really be doing much for you so I think that's why his goal scoring record, if you look at it, has been so um, so heavily weighted towards his home games because that's when he's obviously when Chicago are on top and that's when he's obviously scoring the goals. Dax McCarthy as well has been uh, been instrumental in in Nikolic's yeah. goals. He's, the amount of three balls that he's played has been incredible. Uh, yeah, Nikolic. I mean, I was kind of skeptical over how good he'd be, like like you were, because. He needs service to score goals, and and he's got that in abundance this season. I, I'm not sure how well. I, 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 like I say, I don't watch much MLS, but I watch Chicago Fire quite a lot. I, I just don't know how how deep they'll go into the playoffs personally because they are. I mean, they they they're playing at home at the um on uh, yes yeah, tomorrow night on Wednesday night. Um, they're playing at home, but then after that they'll they'll be away. Um, whoever they get in, in the next round, so I think they'll struggle. To be fair, but uh, you never know. And, and Nikolic usually scores every chance he gets. Anyway, um, <laughs> Sporting KC. Um, obviously, we've got a Hungarian connection there. We're going to have Shaloi uh, on the on the show later. But there's also Peter Vermees, who um, who's Spain Hungary and he's of Hungarian descent. Um, Chris, do you think they can challenge in the playoffs? Obviously, they finished fifth in their in their conference. Um. Well, I read today that, that, that Tim Mealy is going to be missing, um, which is a shame because he's, I think he's a very underrated goalkeeper. Um, it's difficult because they chose to deal Dom Dwyer mid-season, which oh. I must confess, when I saw what was offered, I would have snapped the hand off as well um, <laughs> because it was a lot of money in terms of uh, allocation and all that kind of stuff. It was getting a player that I think was probably going to demand a lot the next time you sit down for a, a contract talk. Um, I actually I interviewed him, I think, probably last year. Um, 
and at the time he was being linked with with Orlando, having played for them when they were in USL. Uh, and I fully expected him to be incredibly diplomatic and say, you know, we'll we'll see what happens. But he was he credit to him. He spoke his mind and said, no, you know, every time a, a team comes in for you, it's a chance for them to evaluate how much they you know they, they value you as a player and whether they want to keep you. And you look at what he's done since for Orlando. I think it kind of validates Sporting KC's decision um, right. because I don't think he's an elite level forward. I think he had a good year. He's fairly industrious, good with his uh, with his left foot, not so great with his right, um, and he'll probably have a few more US caps to him. I wouldn't pay him that much for that though. Um, but when I look at, at, at Sporting KC, I, I'm just not always sure where the goals come from personally, um, because they had, uh, I believe, another Hungarian, Christian Nemeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope I'm not mixing my Hungaries and my Bulgarian. Yeah, that's right, yeah, yeah. You're right. Uh, um, and he, again, he was another great little player. Now, with him, he chose to leave because he wanted more money um, and then has come back with New England. But it's <laughs> it's that ability to like find a replacement player that, that's been difficult for them. Um, and I know they've just kind of let go of one of their, uh, their recruitment guys, Mike Jacobs, has, has left for Nashville. And... I just don't see the the necessary quality in the final third. They've got Benny Vailharbor, who massive fan of Benny, think he should have had more US caps than he's got right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of that striker, um, perhaps your future guest aside, uh, I'm just not sure where the goals come from personally. Um, so, what do you think of Vermees as a coach? I I think he's definitely one of the top in the, in the league and. It's something where he's been able to maintain not only uh, his position as a top coach in the league, but also as a, um, a top GM because he holds both he holds both hats, and it's something that is is rarely done well, I think, in this league because you know as we've thrown around all these different kind of buzzwords that have to do with different um, categories as far as how money is spent, how much you can spend on certain players, things like that. It's not the easiest to manage players in the league, let alone try and bring some in. And so for him to be able to juggle all that, it's impressive. I mean, again, uh, he broke my heart, but he won another uh, U.S. Open Cup trophy uh, this year with Sporting Kansas City. He's in the playoffs once again. Uh, Kansas City has gone from really an afterthought in the league before they uh, rebranded. And now they're something that you know, a lot of other teams aspire to be, in a sense. And so it's something where it'll be interesting to see where his future lies. Um, there have been shouts, not necessarily from the rumor mill, but from some journalists and fans saying that they'd love to see him with the U.S. national team. Um, but that'll be that'll be something that plays out as, uh, as time goes on. So I think Sporting Kansas City definitely are uh, capable of doing well, but... Um, yeah, they may not have all the pieces for this current playoff run, but, you know, anything can happen. Um, this is a question from David Aspoff. Uh, would you have Peter Vermees as a Hungary manager? Obviously, that's vacant at the moment. I, I definitely would love to see him involved just because he has that connection uh, to Hungary. So I know it's something that was alluded to on the last podcast, that bringing, bringing somebody in, uh, that's a complete outsider that might not necessarily be for the best 
um, as far as being able to handle the locker room and to be able to also handling the Federation itself. And so I think Peter Vermees would be the perfect blend in the sense that he is an outsider uh, in the sense that he's American. He's been coaching in MLS for uh, all this time, but at the same time, he's definitely an insider, form, former Hungarian uh, league player. He is of Hungarian descent himself. He has been instrumental, it seems, in bringing Hungarians to the league and even to the academies, which uh, is relatively um, you know, unthought of or unprecedented. And so it's something where he definitely has a connection to the Hungarian national team in that sense. And I think tactics-wise, uh, he definitely would be able to handle the group that um, Hungary has and use them to the best of their ability. Um, and that might be a stepping stone for him if he's wanting to get out of MLS. I'm just not sure if he um, really has the desire with the current situation that he has. But um, time again, time will tell just these next few months. Um, because again, if he's actually being courted for the U.S. situation, that doesn't help uh, Hungary out at all. Um, but I, I could see it happening sooner than later. Cool. Um, this is from Aaron on Twitter. He says, this is to Chris, uh, what, are the, um, what do you think of the US, U.S. youth system? Obviously, um, th- th- maybe this isn't the best time to ask that question just after the USA went out of the World <laughs> Cup, but in general. Wow, where do we begin? Um, the Look, I think U17 level, there's a lot of talent there. Josh Sargent... Um, Timothy Weir is, is probably another good one. There's players in that group that you could see influence in the national team in the future, which, you, I mean, you always have to caveat with assuming they can keep their development on track because the US has had players before that haven't done that. Danny Zatella springs to mind. Um, maybe Freddie Adu is the, the greatest example and, and also the saddest example at the same time. Mm-hmm. Moving away from that further down, when you get to sort of the amateur level youngsters, kids, I just think it needs a lot of reform. I think at the minute it's soccer playing at a at a recreational level. Too often it's for the privileged. It's not yep. for those who are below the breadline, whose families maybe aren't as affluent or can commit, you know, over a thousand dollars to a, a what is a hobby um, per oh. season. Because I mean, in in England. I used to pay, I think, £2, £5, something like that, on a Sunday for for subs to cover the referee and things like that. Um, You know, your kit was usually bought by fundraising or something like that, and it it lasted you for four or five years, whether it fit you or not. Um, The the problem is is that you, you, in the US, it just costs so much. That's one of the major issues. I think at the same time, they don't have the infrastructure within the national team to keep an eye on on a lot of children. A lot of kids fall through the net of not being um, correctly documented from a, a legal and, and uh, nationality standpoint. So you'll lose players to, to that system um, because maybe they're you know recipients of the DREAM Act or, or whatever. They're, they're US in every figurative sense, but in, in the literal sense, maybe they don't have um, the requisite paperwork. And I think that's where the U.S. needs to get better. It needs to improve its organization, uh, first and foremost, and its its understanding between cities and states and, and a nation as a whole. But I think it needs to make f- football at a competitive level more accessible to kids as well. Um, because at this point, I, I don't know if every kid that, that doesn't live in a major city is able to play street football. Um, for them, it's it's about being on a travel team or, or what have you, and they need to be able 
to access that, whether their parents are very, you know, uh, well off or not, because it shouldn't be just about those who can afford to play. It should be about everyone, whether you're good enough or, or, or otherwise. It's so weird to kind of hear that that football is 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 not uh, is kind of for the rich or the middle class in America because the beauty of football is that anyone can pick it up and anyone can play it. Like you you uh-huh. see you see it played in the Brazilian favelas in in the UK for example. The most of the players that come through are from working class backgrounds. So it's 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 kind of bizarre and like that that is the situation in america uh, anyway um as soccer is getting more this is from uh leonard um he says as soccer is getting more popular rapidly in the uh, in the last few decades in the usa why is pulisic their only real international talent slash project uh, product uh, we'll go for you zach first and then chris can chime in after yeah, sure. So I think this goes hand in hand with the last uh, question, last discussion. Uh, to put it uh, quickly, basically the infrastructure isn't there. Uh, we could argue what the cause of that is. Um, there are some people who would jump at, we need promo- promotion relegation immediately and now solve all of our problems. I don't think that's entirely the solution, but it is part of it in the sense that since soccer has lived and died so many different times in America, I mean, it's something where we have one of the younger leagues in the world, but at the same time, our knockout cup tournament, our FA cup tournament has been going on for over a hundred years. It's something that is, I think it's actually the third longest running as far as continuously running. So it's not as if soccer hasn't been here. It's just been so stop and start. And also with that being the case, that means infrastructure that could have been put in or fans and generations of sports followers that could have been following soccer are following other sports. That's a unique situation to America in the sense that soccer is not the most popular sport, is far from it. It's popular at the youth levels, but not at the major levels of watching sports. And so it's something where that impacts our development, it impacts what players are attracted to the soccer, who we can or can't recruit. And so it's something that, um, with the league only coming into its own recently and teams starting now to focus on development in the sense that, you know, as, uh, as you yourself said, major cities are the ones that will have academies backed by professional teams. Outside of that, um, you're going to have to have a lot of luck to be noticed. And so I think that is a major part of it. And two, um, not only just the development itself, but as again, you alluded to scouting, um, our top player in San Jose, uh, Chris Wondolowski, he didn't get his big break with um, with the league until quite late into his 20s. Um, and he became the high. He's right now actually tied for second highest goal scorer in MLS history, but he didn't really get his start with uh, the league, let alone the national team, until he was just about to turn 30. He had no youth national team experience. Uh, and this is a player that, um, is going to go down as one of the best in the league history and one that was very much so underutilized and utilized a bit too late by the national team itself. And so it's just something I think where um, the the federation is needing to connect dots and it may not have always been willing to do that. Just thinking, you know, that players will fall into place, that 
we'll discover a kid like Christian and it'll work out fine. We don't necessarily have to put in the legwork to discover more players. Um, so I think really it is an infrastructure issue and it's something that's being uh, shown due to this loss in um, Trinidad by the U.S. national team. So if anything, I, I see this loss, although negative, that if anything in the system can be worked out for the better, that at least we've had this wake-up call and we haven't just kind of swept things under the rug. Um, so I think if changes are made, the U.S. will be going in the right direction. Otherwise, it's the U.S. will always be a team that can be dominant in their region, but they might not get any further than that or even keep that mantle. Chris, can I just ask you a different question? <clears throat> um, Jurgen Klinsmann always had a common complaint that the players coming through the youth systems were coming in too late, uh, obviously through this the draft system and after after playing in college for a while. Do you think that's a fair criticism? Um, I, I see his point. Um, Jurgen was quite a polarizing character, to be honest. Um, sometimes I'd agree with him and then no sooner had I started to agree with him I'd be shaking my head um, because he'd said something that I didn't agree with college college you could argue like in in life in general it's not for everyone Um, it's not going to benefit every single player I wouldn't want Christian Pulisic anywhere near a college right now because his talent has emerged at a very young age for someone like say Jeff Cameron then that's a good platform for him to go into because it lets him, A, give himself an education, which gives him that little bit of a backup in case it doesn't pan out, which is something you have to consider that a college education in the US is quite valuable. If you get into the right schools, um, there's a reason that a ton of kids from England are trying to get scholarships over there because it's a free education and you play football at the same time with the potential that you get a football career off the end of it. I think that, like I say, you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. Dom Dwyer doesn't have a football career if he doesn't go to college. Because I can't imagine there's going to be uh, an MLS club that would take him in the raw state that he arrived in the US and give him a contract. He might now go through one of these second teams that are playing in USL, but their lifespan is not guaranteed at this point. Some clubs are already getting rid of them because they don't rate them as, as development avenues. Um, so I see what Klinsman, Klinsman means. I don't think it can be the sole incubator for U.S. talent, but as a, as a supplemental path to them going to Europe at a young age, coming through MLS academies, which seem to be improving year on year, then I would say, yeah, it, it can work. It can be one prong of a multi-pronged uh, approach to things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Nick Kolosh uh, on Twitter. Um, the biggest problem the MLS had was getting fans to watch the games. Um, how did they do it? Uh, go for you, Zach, first. Um, because that is obviously a problem very... that's in uh, Hungarian football, quite quite, mm-hmm. quite a big problem right now. And it's funny because any American fan would tell you the way that we're going to get more people to care about our league is promotion and relegation, and then you have that out in you know, Hungary. And that's not necessarily, you know, making people pack into the stadiums. It's been a complicated history because I'm speaking as a fan who my, the team I rooted for originally, uh, they were moved in 2005. And I actually didn't watch soccer for five years because I was so upset by that. So MLS has done something where they've tried to market their teams and place teams in markets 
um, since this is a franchise system, it's unlike anything you'd see um, for the most part out in Europe, where they strategically place teams and then as time has gone on, they've selected teams that um, were either in lower leagues that they thought would do well as far as fans go and as far as um, actually working well with other teams. So, for example, a team like uh, the Montreal Impact or Vancouver Whitecaps, they were brought in at a time when Toronto FC had already been in a league. So then you went from, you know, just one Canadian team to three Canadian teams. There's a guarantee, okay, going off of other sports, there should be rivalries there, so people should be going in. Uh, and then you had uh, Seattle and Portland also coming in, who they corresponded with Vancouver, and they also corresponded with um, teams such as San Jose that they had history back in the 1970s in the NASL. And so it's something where uh, MLS has been quite strategic with bringing um, teams in themselves. And then as far as actually keeping fans in those stands, it's been an issue with some franchises, such as, ironically, the Houston Dynamo, who the San Jose Earthquakes became when they moved. Uh, they've had issues with attendance, and so it's been a struggle for them. Um, but from teams that are bringing in um, more and more fans, such as, you know, the Earthquakes, what they've been able to do, they, as some would say, it's a gimmick to the stadium. They have, like, the, larg the longest outdoor bar in North America, and so that brings <laughs> even some casual fans in. Um, not only that, though, that they're starting to invest more in their communities as far as building up um, rosters that mimic and rather mirror the areas from whence they came. And so with the whole youth development, it's actually become an incentive to be able to be like, you know what, that's a player that represents my city. And this isn't just a team that has a name slapped on it and doesn't have a connection. Um, and so as far as Hungary being able to mirror that with their league, I don't know. They have to definitely listen to their fans. And that's something that teams, when they haven't done it, has been at their own peril here in America. And we're starting to see that with the Columbus crew potentially moving to uh, Austin, Texas, and how there's been backlash from literally every fan base and, of course, the Columbus fan base themselves. And so if that team were to move, you would have to wonder how much does this other city actually even want the team? How much would the fan base even want to support a team that was, you know, taken away from another side? And so it's it's a situation where I think it really does come down to listening to your fans and knowing your audience. Because MLS, it has to compete with a handful of other leagues. Like in my in my area, there's like two two baseball teams. Uh, these are all professional levels, and that's not even including minor league teams. There's two major baseball teams, two major football, American football teams, two, or sorry, one hockey team, and one basketball team. And these are all teams that have a good following. So, for example, the Golden State Warriors, two-time NBA champions now. You have San Francisco Giants. They won World Series in the last decade, et cetera, et cetera. And so it's something where in America they've been able to find their niche as far as what fans – they should cater to and they've been able to keep them there in the sense that they you know they're forced to listen because if they don't they might not exist as a team anymore i suppose that america has almost the benefit of being like the kings of marketing and and i think <laughs> from a hungarian perspective the league is mm -hmm. just isn't marketed properly you can walk around budapest for three weeks and ne never see a, an advertisement or a sign or a, 
or anything to do with football and and that just is 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 one of the ways to get fans into into the games by just telling them mm-hmm. about it telling them it exists and make it exciting which america is kind of known for chris who's been your um mvp for the year who, who, who most valuable player that is in the, for those that don't know um that's a good shout um I mean, it could. I, I don't. I know Nikolic is top of the goal scoring, and, and usually that does kind of happen. I think probably Diego Valeri, if I'm picking, just because uh, he's been so good in both columns. He's he's yeah. scored goals. He's he's made assists. I think actually he's something like only the second player in the league to to do that to get 20 goals and and 10 assists or or more than that even double figures in both in MLS history. Um, and he's just yeah, he's, he's had a bit of a renaissance. He, he he came with not a, I would say a huge expectation. He played for some decent clubs, Porto and, and Lanús in Argentina. But mm-hmm. for me, he's, he's like the ideal Argentine playmaker. He's, he's the the archetypal one if you're trying to sign one because um, he's just got so much quality. Uh, you Zach, I, I would I would agree 100. percent It's something where um, Valeri has been. Uh, not only the archetypal Argentine playmaker, but also for other teams such as my own who have a poor track record of these designated player, these high-profile signings, is he's a perfect one that flew under the radar, but at the same time has made such a huge impact in the league. Um, and he's the archetype not only, again, for Argentina <laughs> as far as their playmakers goes, but also just for this league and their signings, where we're not necessarily signing players that are going off to the Premier League or that are at the same time also maybe under our level. Um, but at the same time, like it's something where he is able to flourish in such a way where it's like, I don't know if he could do it in a league that is much better, but he definitely has the talent. And for him to um, just put his nose to the grindstone as far as Portland goes and be able to score all these goals, make all these assists, um, he's definitely most valued. I'm sure that Nikolic will definitely get a good um, shout from the league, and I'm sure Atlanta will have one, if not two players that are nominated. Um, but definitely Valeri has been somebody that um, pretty much any other MLS team would would start. Cool. Um, we'll go for you. We'll, we'll stay with you, Zach. Um, what player and okay. team has, uh, most surprised, uh, has surprised you most? Mm, that's a that's a really good question. Um, I may be repeating myself, but honestly, I think Nikolic in Chicago, um, because going in, um, MLS has a track record where just if you drop in good players, it's not necessarily going to guarantee that you're going to have good results. I think the Galaxy and LA are an example of that, where for a while, you know, they had Beckham, Donovan, Robbie Keane, they're able to do well. Then more recently, when they've added players. Uh, such as Gio Santos and his brother. Um, it's They've had quality talent, but at the same time, their talent did not extend all the way to the bottom floor. It was only stacked at the top. And so with Chicago signing Nikolic, I was, of course, happy. I was ecstatic. Uh, and then Schweinsteiger, I was a bit intrigued, a bit um, cautious. But it's worked out quite well for them, not only because of the players that they brought in at that high level, but also because of the solid core that they have. And so Chicago definitely outdid my expectations. And Nikolic 
I, I knew that he was going to score some goals, but I did not expect for him to get the ball, golden boot in his first season. Uh, same for you, Chris. I would say I would say Nikolic actually. Yeah, I would say I'd, say, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, and this is the last question. Um, who are you tip, who are you tipping for the playoffs? We'll stay with you first, Chris. Oh wow. Um, it's such a difficult one, this because I mean last last year it was Seattle that went on and won it, and and uh-huh. if you told me that in July that they were going to win when they sacked Siggy <laughs> Schmidt, I would have assumed you'd been licking the microwave or something. Um, <laughs> Toronto look great. Um, so do Atlanta. I'm gonna say maybe a surprise and an NYCFC something like that. Oh. Um, just because I like Harrison, I like Via, um, and I feel like with a bit of experience to him, Vieira is gonna play it better than he did last time. I mean, in fairness, he was destroyed by Toronto. There's no shame in that. Um, but I think he'll have a better idea of what he needs to do this time round. And to you, Zach. I mean, of course, I want to say that San Jose Earthquakes are going to make a unexpected run and win the whole thing, but uh, uh, probably not. In the case that they do not, I guess I would say I definitely, I think New York City is a good shout, but honestly, I think it'll come down to one of Toronto and Atlanta uh, on the eastern side. On the western side, I definitely think Portland, if Valeri is firing on all cylinders, they're, they're going to be the ones to beat. But um, if this is if this playoff system has taught us anything, it's that you you can't bank on the biggest names. It's whoever's hottest at the end of the season. Um, and so those three teams I mentioned definitely have been. That's why something with, uh, for example, San Jose taking on Vancouver, even though Vancouver is the higher-rated team, San Jose has been the one that's been able to pull off these victories. So I, I would give a shout to Toronto, Atlanta, but I think some some unexpected teams will give them trouble at the very least. Cool, great stuff. Uh, Kristen... Zach, thanks you. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. First ever goal for Daniel Shallowy. Didn't he take it well? Daniel Shallowy puts Sporting Kansas City ahead, one 0 Fail Harbour. It's Shallowy, and Daniel Shallowy has scored what may be the clinching goal. Hello. Hiya, Danny. How you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. We'll start with this season. Um, how has it been for you? Like, Has it been like the dream year? Um, no, I wouldn't say dream year, but <laughs> it was definitely more than what I've expected before uh, the season started. I mean, I wanted to make my debut in the MLS, uh, wanted to uh, play as, as many minutes as I can. And uh, the way it started, it was really like that you know I was um, I was on the bench and then I was getting subbed in a couple times and then um, and then you know something changed I I scored my uh, my first goal and then I became a regular starter after that so uh, it's really amazing I really like that year and but hopefully there's gonna be many more better years yeah like you say at the start of the season there's the, uh, I was getting frustrated as, as, as a fan like, I just wanted to see you play because it was a few games in a row where you were kind of on the bench and, and, and coming on for the last couple of minutes and then you eventually got your break and, and like you say you scored in um, one of the cup, early cup games I think that's right and then and obviously you did really well after that um, I remember seeing your celebration when you scored that cup win- final winning goal and you just seemed like incredibly calm after, ju- after what you'd just done 
What was going through your head at that time? Well, I was um, I was really prepared for that game. I was uh, I was telling everyone before that you know that I really don't care if I don't score for five games if I score the game winner in the cup game. <laughs> and uh, it's, that's funny because that's how it happened. And uh, I, I was super happy inside, but I mean, that was just. Uh, that wasn't unexpected because when I got that ball, I was just hoping that I can take a touch. And when I did, I, I was just wanting to uh, get, send kisses to my uh, parents because they were in the stands. So, uh, yes, I was calm. And at that moment, I, I kind of felt, felt like we we did it. We we just won the cup. That was uh, easier than I what ex- what I expected. But after that, there was uh, they came back with one more one goal, and uh, it, there was more fight. But uh, eventually, we did we did win it with that goal. Great stuff. Uh, you, and you mentioned your dad there. How much yeah. of an impact has he played on uh, on your whole career and your whole life? Um, obviously a lot. In the beginning, we had our. Uh, or downs because uh, you know I was a kid and I really didn't like when uh, he criticized me uh, and he would tell me what to do. I would always hate it. And that part, I, you know, it turned out to be a hate towards uh, towards soccer. I really didn't want to watch games with him. I didn't want to go to uh, go to the stadium with him because he would always tell me what to do and I, I didn't like it. But I, as I was growing up, I. Uh, I got more mature and then I realized that he's trying to help me and that really helps me. And uh, when I started to take his advice, my uh, that's when I started to rise as a player. And uh, in the last couple of years, um, he's, he, he works as an agent, uh, I mean, as a scout for an agency. And uh, he can send me videos um, uh, just cropping my scenes out, you know, from the game. And he would always tag some comments on it. And that helps me a lot, you know, to, to see those moments, what I should do. He would always send me something about a different player, how he would do in this moment. So uh, that's a big help for me. And uh, I'm glad that uh, he does this for me because he makes me a better player. It's an amazing story. And, and your whole kind of career is kind of amazing as well. And it is unique to Hungarian football that... A Hungarian player has come through the MLS youth system. How did that opportunity come about? Uh, yes, it's it's uh, it's really a surprising story because uh, so I was playing at in Uipest. I was always playing there at the academy, and um, uh, Istvan Urbani, who used to be the head coach in uh, at Uipest, uh, he worked with my dad, and uh, they became they they remained friends since then. And uh, him, uh, Peter Vermees, and my dad played together in Hungary. So they all had this connection, three of them. So uh, Istvan started working at Sporting because of Peter. And then Istvan uh, talked to my dad and told him that, uh, you know, look, this academy is great. And he explained to him the whole system, how we travel, how we play. And uh, he told, uh, told us that I could go to school there too, be an exchange student. I would live with the family. And uh, he came up with the whole idea. I can. I have to thank him for uh, bringing me this opportunity. And after that, first I said no. I was like, no chance. I, I don't want to move to Kansas. And uh, and then then we kind of sat down after a week. My dad said, look, 
let's just be smart. Let's think about it. Let's go through this whole process. What would happen? What could? What can we lose? And we got to the point where we said, you know what? Let's do it. Uh, and it, it was amazing. I was living with a great family. Uh, I was successful at the academy. And uh, when I came back, I started playing in the Hungarian first division and eventually signed with Sporting. So it was it was a great choice. Do you feel that, like, when you were, you were just saying then, when you kind of said no straight away, do you feel like that was, like, a thing in your head, you are thinking maybe that the MLS or American football just isn't very good and that's not a good place where I could learn? I was, I wasn't, I mean, I knew something about MLS, but I wasn't uh, 100% about what is happening there, what is at the academy level, uh, and... I just wasn't sure. You know, when you are uneducated about something, you make the mistake to uh, uh, be stubborn about it. And uh, that's that's what I did first. And uh, that's why my dad told me to sit down and think about it. And uh, I think th- uh, that helped me. And also, now if somebody wants to do the same thing, they know about me that I did the same path and they want to do it too. But when I decided to do it, I was the first one pretty much. So uh, so I didn't have anyone to say, oh, he did it too, so let's just do it because we can get there. Yeah, so sure. now, now, it's, now it's easier for somebody who wants to do it because they just ask me questions. Yeah. Um, this is a question from Chris, Chris Barrett, and it's kind of on that, on that um, subject he, uh, from Twitter. He said, uh, do any of your football friends from Hungary see the MLS as an enticing destination? Um, I guess, I guess you've just answered that by saying yes, but do you, do you know that anyone would be like kind of willing to come over? Yes, it's a big yes. There's a lot of uh, former teammates who who uh, asked me to help them to get to MLS because they really want to play here. And uh, even um, some friends who, uh, who, you know, are younger and they want to play at the academy level. But, you know, it's, it's very difficult for the... For the academy level, it's difficult because uh, you have to be an exchange student to play here. Not everybody wants to commit to that part and uh, live without your family for a year. But uh, at the at the professional soccer level, you get to the point where uh, you have to look at the salary. And uh, at this point, you can make more money in Hungary if you are not mm-hmm. a yeah. designated player. And that's what I... Uh, I tell some of the players, look, you have to, you have to uh, give this part and let it go, let the money go, because uh, it's you, you. If you sign as a designated player, it's great. But if you not, if you're not a designated player, you might be getting a, a small amount of money, and uh, you have to risk it in the first year. And maybe you do well, and then you get a raise. But uh, that's why it's uh, it's different from Hungary. That is that yeah, it's so refreshing to hear as well because obviously you see a lot of of youngsters who who go abroad or don't want to go abroad because like you say the money is is very good in Hungarian football. Um, this is another question kind of on the same subject is from Twitter again. David Dolak he he says, uh, what differences do you see in player development in America and the MLS compared to to Hungarian football? I really feel like. Um in uh, the in the US what what i can see is mostly about sporting academy system but uh, obviously i saw some other ones who we played 
but uh, 90% is about sporting. I feel like it's, uh, it's more organized than in Hungary. Obviously, uh, now in Hungary, it's getting better and better, like uh, the environment, the facilities, the fields, because they put a lot of money in it. But uh, at the same time, I would say the path is, uh, is you know what you are doing. You are at the academy level and then uh, you're finished academy. If you don't go pro, you go to college, you get drafted and they, they go with it. They know what's going to happen with them. In Hungary, I feel like um, when you get to the age 16 or 17, so many people start to freak out that they have to be professional next year. And uh, and that's when they make the mistake. Maybe sign with a with a big team, big academy team in Hungary, where they don't play, uh, and or they just go go somewhere in Europe. And that's that's a mistake, you know. I feel like uh, because of uh, the way it is in America, that you know what you have to do is that's why you get there, because uh, maybe you have to go to college for one year and then sign. Maybe some people need that, but we still live in the world where uh, at 17, age of 17, so everybody thinks that they have to go pro next year. Some people uh, become players, good players later. So that's why it's, uh, I think it's better in the USA than it is in Hungary. Honestly, your maturity is is astounding to be honest. From a for a 21 year old to be talking like like you are is is, is incredible. Um, it really Thank is. You. It's mind blowing. Um, do you feel like a national team call up is close? Hopefully, I mean, I got called up to the U21, so I'm uh, in November when the international break is coming. I'm going home mm-hmm. to play against uh, Sweden and uh, Cyprus. But um, yes, hopefully the the first team is coming too. So many people ask me and. Uh, <laughs> I started I started to think myself too that wow am I really that close so uh so it would be great obviously but if it comes I don't know next week then it's perfect if it comes a year later it's still perfect if it comes 5 years later it's still perfect anytime a national team call up is great so I'll be ready and I'm I would be very excited and happy to to be on the first team of the Hungarian national team and then back to SKC, and obviously your season's not over. How are you feeling ahead of the game against Houston next week? It's going to be a difficult game. I wish we could have avoided this uh, knockout stage. And if we have to play in the knockout stage, that would be even better if to, to play in, uh, at home. But uh, we, we just had a, a very bad run at the end. So, uh, so we ruined our position. But... We have to deal with it. We go to Houston. Anything can happen. It's one game. Uh, maybe it goes to penalty kicks. But I feel like this comes to the the competition where it's it's pretty much a cup competition, and we've won a cup this year. So uh, so I'm not worried. I think uh, we will do well, and uh, we'll find our way to win. And uh, finally, I know. It doesn't sound like you're going to get ahead of yourself at all. But what are your ambitions for the for the future? Is like is like a big European league the ideal destination? As as you said, yes. I I really don't like to jump that much ahead. I I love my time at Sporting and in MLS, and uh, maybe maybe in five years I got I get a good offer. When that offer comes, 
I'll make the decision. But uh, right now, I think I can improve as a player and uh, as a person too. And I, I like my time here. So uh, I, I, I want to focus on this. Great stuff. Daniel Shalloway, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Pleasure.